The Rural Health Voice, Episode 2, Patient Coordination. Welcome to The Rural Health Voice. I am Beth O'Connor, your host. We discuss rural health issues at the grassroots level and how state and federal policies play out in our local communities. What does a hospital do when 62% of visits to the emergency room are patients without any way to pay the bill? Tyler Lee from Carillion Franklin Memorial Hospital joined me to talk about how community teamwork found better options for both the patients and the hospital. Come listen in on our conversation. So what is your role at Carillion Franklin? So at Carillion Franklin Memorial Hospital, I am the community outreach and development manager for the whole Southside region. So that encompasses the town of Bedford, Franklin County, Manita, um, Rocky Mount, Martinsville, Henry County, Axton, et cetera. So, so what all does that involve? So all of that involves overseeing the Health Efficiency Navigation Initiative, a little bit of what we'll talk about in a little bit, along with a little bit of marketing. So I'm the boots on the ground marketing individual for our Southside region, where we also oversee our patient reps inside of the emergency room, which play a very important piece into the Henny project. Terrific. And you've mentioned Henny. Now, I have Health Efficiency Navigation Initiative. Is that correct? That is, that's 100% correct. So the Health Efficiency Navigation Initiative. So if you take the H, the E, the N, the I, you get a little bit of an acronym, and everyone in the medical field loves acronyms. So, of course, we came up with Henny, and so that's where we get the name Henny Project. So it's it's, it's a little bit easier to say than that whole big mouthful of um, Health Efficiency Navigation Initiative. So what is Henny? So the Henny Project is the Health Efficiency Navigation Initiative where we have partnered with all of our safety net providers, such as, you know, our Federal Qualified Health Centers, the Free Clinic, um, the United Way, uh, a whole list of folks, Piedmont Community Services, which is our local CSB, um, the Disability Rights and Resource Center for a Transportation Task Force, the VDH, which is the Virginia Department of Health, Carilion Clinic, a lot of other family practice offices in the area, and kind of just get a huge collaboration of folks to come together and for the common good to get folks that are overutilizers in the emergency room to a family practice home. Then that way we can manage their care a lot better. And then plus it's a lower cost for the community and for us as a hospital setting inside of the emergency room. Now you said overutilizers. What, what kind of defines an overutilizer? Well, that is anyone that comes to the emergency room more than six times a year. And so, you know, we, we see in, inside of rural communities folks utilizing the emergency room for family care or urgent care-related issues. So, you know, we may be the only facility within a little, little radius where people say, oh, well, it's just easier if I just go to the emergency room. So we're trying to change mindsets, trying to change, you know, social behaviors, all, all in this program where we can get this person the care that they need at an appropriate cost. And I would think an emergency room when you don't need an emergency room is a very uh, expensive option. You're exactly right. So emergency rooms are the most expensive care that someone can receive. And so a funny story about 
that catchphrase right there. We have a few emergency room doctors that every time they're working, they like to come up to my office and print off pictures of me and with that little catchphrase coming out of my mouth. So um, <laughs> there you go. There's your new promotional ad for, for the Henny Project. But um, so, yes, you are 100% correct. The, the ED is the most expensive care that anyone can receive um, for non-basic um, family care related issues. So, you know, if you have strep throat, you do not want to come to the emergency room. If you have, um, we'll just say the flu, yes, the flu is extreme, but, you know, if it's not those extreme cases of the flu, you know, that can be taken care of at your family care physician's office. And, you know, a lot of it is just your basic education with that patient and saying, you know, John Doe, what, what keeps, what, what's your reoccurring issue? Why do you keep coming back, you know? And we have all of these conversations after they've been medically screened, of course, because of the MTOWA law and the financial conversations that may come up in one of these conversations whenever we're doing patient education. So that that conversation, you know, it's a, it's a little bit down the line after they've been medically cleared. So that's always super important, too, because we don't want to overstep our MTOWA law as an emergency room. Absolutely. And what is that MTOWA law? Well, there's there's many different puzzles, and I'm not a lawyer by any means, but the MTOWA law basically states if you come to an emergency room facility and you appear and check in and you say, you know, I think I may have broke my arm, right? And then so I have to be medically cleared by a mid-level provider such as a PA, nurse practitioner, or a doctor, which would be the main provider. So, you know, a lot of instances that, that could be triage and, you know, that nurse basically goes and gets that PA or nurse practitioner and says, hey, come out here and just medically screen this person and just give me your best judgment real quick. Because, you know, in the emergency room, it's a lot of a shotgun approach because we don't we may not know the chronic issues or the chronic illnesses of of some of the patients that are coming in. But. Um, with, with the MTOWA law, we can, you know, medically clear them and get them to the medical facility that they may be appropriate for them, for that individual. So if someone comes in, it's clearly not an emergency. The hospital can't just go, oh, you know, you don't need us, go away. Very true. Yep. That's exactly right. So that's where, you know, our patient advocates and our patient reps come into play. And then, you know, they'll have that conversation with that patient. And say, you know, hey, patient X, why, like, what's going on today? You know, like, what, what really brought you in? And we'll start peeling back some of the layers of that onion and saying, oh, well, you know, well, maybe it's a, maybe it's just, you know, you need a updated meds list and your family care physician can do that with more care coordination. So then we implemented a system called Charity Tracker that basically is able to track that patient if we send them to the free clinic or if we send them to Tri-Area Community Health or Bassett Family Practice. And those last two are two of our local um, federal qualified health centers that we do a lot of partnership with. And then as well as, you know, our Carilion Clinic family medicine sites. And we have a few of those in our area that have, you know, bought into our program. Essentially making sure the patient knows of all the options that's available to him or her. 
That's exactly right. Yep. Yep. And we have to, you know, if, if the patient sees that, or if we see that the patient may not have health insurance or anything of that nature as well, we'll also, you know, try to bridge that gap and say, well, you know, we have open enrollment in, you know, November, or, you know, do you have any special qualifying events that may, you know, help you get health insurance that may help you qualify to get Medicaid or to get the Affordable Care Act or when, and then we also, you know, have the financial assistance here since we're a not-for-profit hospital, we, we may be able to help you out with your bill, at least for today's visit, but what about in the future? And then we want to make sure those future steps are covered with that insurance base if if that patient is um, available for that or eligible for that. And when we talk about the emergency department being most expensive, that's not just for the patient, but that's also expensive for the hospital, isn't it? Exactly right. Exactly right. So, you know, the emergency room, if we're, if we're um, seeing these folks inside of the emergency room, you know, the average emergency room cost is anywhere from $4,300 all the way up to whatever you really want to spend. Uh, so if, if, if that patient does not have health insurance, what happens, right? So the medical facility obviously has to evaporate that cost. Uh, same way with, you know, the Medicaid patient population, Medicaid and Medicare only pay back the hospital a certain amount. So once we, once we see that that portion was only going to pay us back a certain amount, then that's whenever the other cost factors rise. So that's whenever you see your commercial rates because they pay the most. And so this is healthcare 101. You'll hear Bill Jacobson say this until he's blue in the face. But um, healthcare 101 in finance world is just shifting the cost. So, you know, that, that commercial insurance base is going to be paying the most back to the hospital system. But when the person doesn't have health insurance, the healthcare system basically just has to evaporate that cost, which then makes the cost go up for the general public and for the hospital system. So kind of the options are insurance or the hospital pays, but we also, Virginia recently passed Medicaid expansion, which should be implemented, I believe, January 1st. Does the hospital see that as part of the puzzle? For coming into 2019, you know, our our budget is obviously due um, the end of this month, and it should be voted on by our board, of course. But us as a system, we are not expecting any type of huge financial gains. Obviously, we're not we're not planning for that. And just just because there's so much unknown in that respect um, of how much we'll receive back, none of the payments have been, you know submitted to my knowledge um as of today at least uh but other than that you know it's it's going to be great for the folks that are in that medicaid gap right now that are just kind of stuck so at least now they'll be able to be covered and that'll help with a lot of our financial assistance paperwork and that sort of thing but other than you know helping out the hospital yes it's going to help us out but we don't know how much it's going to really help until a lot of that stuff is posted. So it's still a wait and see game, but we'll, we'll, we'll get a little bit of benefit back, but I think the patients will benefit the most, which is the main, the main objective. Lots of unknowns with Medicaid expansion at this point. That's exactly right. And especially, you know, with our department um, being a three man show, um, if you will, other than, you know, the, 
the different components of of each leg and arm and tentacle. But um, you know, here in the ED, we only have you know three CACs, which is our Certified Application Counselors, that can sign people up for Medicaid or for the ACA. So that being said, you know that that's that's a whole unknown scenario as well that plays into one of the challenges going forward for for open enrollment along with the whole Medicaid expansion. Going back to the Henny project, how did Curly and Franklin get all of those partners to work together? So early on in 2010, we were able to, well, we meaning Bill Jacobson and his team at Curly and Franklin Memorial. I was still in college at the time, and Bill Jacobson is our hospital administrator here and also a vice president of Carilion Clinic. He also sits on many boards with the VHHA and Small Rural Hospital Board for the AHA, so the American Hospital Association, um, which is led by Nancy Agee, which is the CEO of Carilion Clinic. But Bill is a very mover and a shaker inside of our community and the state level. So he's he's a very um, proactive person and a very positive person. And he was able to bring a lot of community leaders and folks that would have great, great stakeholders to the table for this type of um, initiative. So back in 2010, they realized that there was a rapid, rapid increase of uncompensated care rapid increase in healthcare costs, overutilization services, you know, cuts to the Medicaid and Medicare systems, and then a lot of uncoordinated care among the uninsured Medicaid and Medicare, which are all three payer mixes that may may not pay the hospital at high rates. Um, so here locally at Carilion Franklin Memorial Hospital, we saw, and now this is 2010 data, we saw a 62% of uncompensated care that came through our emergency room setting, so which is equivalent to about $6 million or so. So, you know, if we can cut that number in half, then, you know, that's a significant change, right? So um, that's when that talk kind of came about of, you know, hey, we need to get some community stakeholders. We need to get all of our local folks involved and start working together to partner to get this initiative going. Let me check that number. 62% uncompensated care. So you're saying 62% of the people who went for the emergency department didn't have any way to pay? Correct. And now remember, that goes back to that overutilization of services that we talked about a little bit earlier, where, you know, that could be the same person coming back multiple occasions. You know, because they may not have a primary care home, they are overutilizers on the EMS transport rides. They may be folks that may just come in and say, you know, I ran out of all my blood pressure medicine because I never followed up with my doctor like he told me to, or, you know, something of that nature. So that's where that 62% comes from. And that could be, you know, overutilization, or that could just be, you know, lack of no insurance as well. So there's a lot of different variables that play into this of where that 62% number comes from. But yes, 62% is astronomical. And that was, you know, only eight years ago um, and pre-ACA, but yet, you know, the Affordable Care Act 
and the Henny Project has helped in our area a ton in that scenario, which we'll talk about the data numbers and that all of that fun stuff here shortly, I'm sure. Well, don't make me wait. Give me the numbers. <laughs> Do we have something less than 62%? Yes, much less, much less. So we were able to, um, you know, with the MTAWA law and we, we, um, we were able to medically clear some of our folks and get them into a primary care doctor home. So, and so in about 2012, early 2013, we realized, well, what happens when our family physician office gets extremely full and our doctors can't handle it anymore on their panel? And so, you know, that number was about 68% of the folks said, yeah, I'll, I'll go try out a family care doctor. And 68% of the folks that went through this program saw, you know, just a significant health increase. You know, they were healthier. They were able to manage their prescriptions. They were able to, you know, feel better at home, stop coming to the emergency room for one because that goes back to the most expensive care setting. And then the, all of their chronic illnesses and chronic health conditions are now managed. And so we, we started our community health needs assessment in 2013, 2014. And that's whenever we found out, oh, well, there's a lot more people that are in the community that don't have a family care doctor or that may not have access to a family care doctor due to insurance-related issues or due to not having a doctor in our area that can even see them. So then that, that put us at, well, what's next? And then that's whenever the Health Efficiency Navigation Initiative came along. And some of those purposes, you know, it was to utilize the emergency department as our primary source of identification of patients with coverage-related issues and then we were going to do our best to find and influence um, coverage for those folks and navigate them to the appropriate care settings to close that gap of them not having the resources that they may need. And then so, you know, we, we were able to fulfill that with the coordination of services within, you know, the Carilion Clinic system and then along with all of our safety net providers in our region. So we were able to have a 31% deduction rate within ED visits from 2015 to 2016. And in that year, we were able to sign up 107 folks onto the Affordable Care Act health insurance plans through the marketplace, which then returns to the hospital a significant um, increase of revenue because these folks are now going to be covered by a commercial payer mix which we talked about a little bit earlier, you know, that commercial payer mix pays a lot more than self-pay because, you know, we were writing a lot of that off because of our financial assistance programs and, you know, self-pay only is able to pay a certain percentage of that bill because it's so astronomically high. And then, you know, the government rates through Medicaid and Medicare, they only pay, you know, accordingly that whatever that service may cost, they only pay a portion of that cost. But your commercial insurances pay, you know, about 70% more um, on that cost. So we saw a revenue of about $2.4 million just on that 107 patient population in our area, just at our facility alone. So, I mean, that, that, is, that is huge for a rural setting. 
And so, you know, that was 24% of the increase in the Affordable Care Act were from the paid cases that we saw in that time frame. Very much worth the investment for the hospital and the other community agencies. That's exactly right. And, you know, we've seen trends spiral down from, you know, level ones, which are, you know, your cases inside of the emergency room from a financial perspective. You know, that's your cases, you know, your strep throats that shouldn't come to the emergency room or your your flu cases that aren't really the severe cases of the flu or, you know, just a minor headache or a toothache. Um, yes, yes, those cases can get bad. We understand that. I mean, everyone's pain tolerance is different, but some of those things can be resolved in a family care office or in a dentist office. But um, we've seen those trends just go down, and it's it's such a beautiful such a beautiful chart. I'm actually looking at it right now as I explain it to you. But um, if you come to the rural health conference in Lexington, you can see the charts there. But um, that's just a little teaser. So. Is, is that something we can put on the podcast website? Yeah, I don't see why we could. All right, we'll yeah. share that with everybody so they can see. Now, obviously, you know, this has been great for the hospital and for the other community providers. How have the patients responded? So a lot of the patients inside of the emergency room, you know, they're, they're there for a reason, right? So we, our patient reps and our medical staff, we, they've bought into this initiative. So they know that, okay, well, if a patient comes in on a gurney and it's a true emergency and they need a family care doctor, you know, within the next week, then we'll, we'll obviously get them that doctor's appointment, but they're not that overutilization patient, right? So, so those patients love that we have this initiative because it's, you know, an immediate turnaround getting them a family care appointment. But for our overutilizer patients, early on, you know, they're a little defensive, you know, they're like, well, why, do you, why are you coming in to tell me that I've been here six times? Are you telling me that I'm not welcome here? And, you know, so we have to, you know, kind of, we kind of have to even out the playing field a little bit, if you will, or we also have to, you know, kind of gain that rapport of, you know, find out, gain that relationship with the patient, if you will. So you you have to, you have to build the relationship with the patient and say, you know, patient X, why do you come into the emergency room and have those hard conversations with them? And, you know, it may be, you know, I was dismissed from Dr. So-and-so for not showing up to the appointment. And then you say, oh, well, you know, did you have to work that day or did you have car trouble or whatever that, you know, keep peeling back those layers of that onion until you get to the core. Of, of that patient's issue. So a lot of social determinants comes into this, but after, after those hard conversations, you know, you gain that relationship with the patient and, um, you know, you almost become a healthcare buddy at that point instead of just a patient representative and more of an advocacy program of getting this patient to the where they need to go. And with all that, I would think that understanding more about that patient and that person's situation is going to help provide them better care in the long run anyway. That's exactly right. That is 100% exactly right. So um, you hit the nail right on the head because, you know, as you peel back those layers, our patient reps are able to say, well, you know, Tyler, I, I don't have a car right now. Oh, well, you don't have a car right now. Well, let me tell you about this resource that can get you to and from your non-emergent medical appointment. And if you're nice to that person, they may even drop you off at the pharmacy on your way home. 
And, you know, the majority of the time they'll do that regardless. But if you try to make light of the situation and, you know, get that person to chuckle or laugh or smile at least, then you know you went that extra mile. Uh, but, you know, our patient reps, they turn into a social worker in a blink of an eye. So that being said, you know, they have to they have to have a lot of shotgun approaches as well. Um, you know, the patient may say, well, I I, I just don't know what to do. Uh, you know, my my cousin does this and my aunt does this. And and then, you know, then at that point, you're in a mental health crisis because they've already explained everything. Right. And they may have said some harmful things. And then you have to go and relay that information back to the nurse. Or, so then, you know, that's why we have the Piedmont Community Services folks involved in the Henny. And that's our local CSB, like I said before. And so, you know, we can get them involved with the mental health portion of it. Because, you know, a lot of, a lot of overutilization behaviors can go back to behavioral health-related issues. So there's so many key components of peeling back that onion that, um, I mean, it's an onion, so it can make you cry. I mean, it's as, as cheesy as that sounds, it's definitely, um, an emotional topic, but, um, it can definitely bring out the, bring out the emotions, but you know, that, that makes you a stronger, um, patient advocate in my opinion. So obviously sometimes people aren't, aren't going to be, you know, willing to share the hard times they're going through and the pain they're going through and you know they could be defensive or embarrassed. Um, That's right. Have have you had other challenges with implementing the program? Yeah, so we've had a lot of um technical challenges. Um you know, some of our nonprofits and some of our safety net providers that are on the that are on the Health Efficiency Navigation Initiative coalition or program project whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, the computer system and database called Charity Tracker, which I um, named some of those uh, data or some of those statistical data off just a moment ago, that they may not have the staff to plug in, okay, patient X is coming now to see helping hands to get a box of food because they may not have food at home or because it's all a volunteer-based agency. And that's the same way with a lot of our United Way agencies that are on the Charity Tracker system. They um, they're all for the system, and you know it can it can give us great data and feedback back, and help with a lot of grants and things of that nature. But that's been one of our biggest barriers is having the agencies buying into the database to say, you know, we think this is a great system, but we can't implement it because we don't have the staff to do so or we don't have the volunteer staff to do so. So that's been a huge challenge for us. And then another challenge too is, you know, we we set these patients up with appointments and we'll call them and say, hey, you know, patient, patient X, you have your appointment coming up tomorrow. Are you going to be able to make it? And a lot of our patients, you know, may not have self-service. They may not have the... Um, the phone capability where their phone number changes once a day, it feels like. Um, so that's been an extreme challenge for us and keeping up with, you know, the contact information for these folks um, in rural communities, you know, they, 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 they like to jump around of where they live. And so that's, that's been a barrier for when our, when our transportation task force folks go and try to pick them up. And a lot of those folks are volunteers. So, you know, 
the burnout of volunteers is definitely crucial as well because you know if if a volunteer has a bad experience they don't have to give a notice they don't have to work out a notice like if like if it was a or if it was an employee of ours so um you know that's that's a struggle in itself um and that's just to say a few and then you know trying to get all the data back from um some some of the data portions of the EMR via epic can be a little tricky as well so i don't know if there's any other hospital systems that have tricks with epic i would definitely w- would love to learn how um their data department does it but so i guess those are probably the key challenges that we've kind of faced but other than that i think it's been pretty smooth and the community's really enjoyed a lot of the patients have um cool success stories of you know i had a patient in the emergency room not too long well i guess it's been about two years ago and you know he and i hit it off great and that was back whenever i was doing the patient advocacy role before the henny got much larger than what it is now uh um and you know i was able to sign him up on insurance the marketplace ended up failing his um application we had to go back in and he was a you know he was a good old country boy and every time that he would come in he would always bring deer jerky and you know i love deer jerky and so he finally ended up taking me hunting one day and you know now we're now we're pals outside of work um so you know there's success stories and then there's also challenges but it's all been it's all been extremely positive um our marketing for the hospital and being able to market the health efficiency navigation has been phenomenal you know we've been able to increase a lot of different services due to the financial um commitment of the henny and some of the grants that we've received of that nature as well so aside from deer jerky have you had any outcomes that you maybe didn't expect going in so we had a middle-aged lady in her mid-40s that showed up to our emergency room probably about once a week if not more often so she had a bill of about 14.6 million dollars within five years and that you know that consists of you know anything from cat scans mris to outpatient to surgeries to the list goes on but I mean, she had a ton of health-related issues. She would be able to qualify for the Affordable Care Act if she would actually just sign up for it, because her husband at the time was a—I can't remember what type of farmer—but um, worked on a farm, and she was a state. She just stayed at home, um, was unemployed. All of her kids did not live with her, so she could have she could have possibly gotten disability, depending on some some things, but. Basically, make a long story short, um, she showed up and I said, you know, the doctor at the time, I said, look, she's already went through every social social services route through the nonprofit world. She has overutilized all of those resources and we were at a loss of words, right? So I finally went in, had the same conversation with her and I said, look. This is this is it. This is going to be the great day that you come into my office tomorrow. We fill out all the paperwork. We get your we get your life on track. And I thought, you know, this is never going to work. So basically, 
it didn't work that day. Just like the 20 other times that we had seen her or one of one of the patient reps had talked to her in the past, you know, she just kind of blows us off, right? So she comes back in a week. And I'll never forget it. Dr. Philpot was back there. And Dr. Philpot said, hey, Tyler, um, patient is here. And I didn't even look at the track board. I just went back there. There was no any type of, I guess, for lack of a better word, judgment going in. I mean, you try to be judge-free as much as you can, but if you've dealt with the same, same issue, you know, time and time again, it's kind of makes you a little bit jagged. But um, so I had no, I had I, no idea where I was going. So I go back to the printer, get the get the piece of paper off, and I didn't even look at the piece of paper until I got about halfway down, down the hall. So I walk into the room. So I say, "Hey, how are you?" And same patient, you know, same everything. And I said, you know, hey, today's a good day that we we start getting you on track. You show up to your medical appointment, and we'll even get you plugged in with a new doctor, some of that you like, and we'll we'll get we'll get you rocking and rolling. So then she said, well, you know, I'll go. I, I almost fell out in the emergency room. I almost needed a ER doctor myself because I thought I was going to faint. But um, that being said. We were able to get her, you know, the medicine that she needed, the transportation that she needed to get to and from the non-emergent medical appointment. We were able to get her health insurance. And that one success story made the whole program a success to me personally, just because I knew the attitude that I had towards this one person because they did not want to follow through. So, you know, it made me as an individual and as an employee look at every case 100% different. So, you know, it doesn't matter how many times it takes, but that one time can always make a difference in someone's life. So I think that's the, I think that's a big, big thing in my opinion. And the way I look at this program now, you know, it's not how many times somebody comes into the emergency room, but when, when is that one time that it's going to click when they have that conversation? So you never know when the time is the right time. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, we had planted so many seeds in in her head and, you know, we had sent so many bills and I'm sure she was starting to freak out. But, you know, like I said, the um, a lot of those bills go to collections over time. Um, so, you know, a lot of that, you know, just kind of gets lost in healthcare costs. But um, so that I mean, it was that was a big a big unexpected outcome that, you know, ended up saving her life. And now she's, you know, a great advocate for what we're doing. Um, we were actually able to, you know, help some of her husband's um, friends that work on the farm as well. And so, I mean, it's been a great, great experience seeing her be able to get the meds that she needs and the behavioral help that she needs. And, that sort of thing. So that's, that's been phenomenal. Great. I'm guessing that Curly and Franklin isn't the only hospital in rural Virginia that has people show up in the emergency room when they don't need to be there. And when they don't have insurance, how can other communities do this type of a project? So one thing that we, you know, we've talked with, a lot of because Carillion has five outlying hospitals, including the Level One Trauma Center in Roanoke. So we have a critical access hospital in Giles, which um, services you know a lot of West Virginia folks, and 
Um, then we also have the New River Hospital, um, and then Stonewall Jackson, us, Taswell, etc. But uh, you know, so so we've looked at different different models of you know how do you get plugged in with your community. We have the hub model in Roanoke where you know we have care coordinators in the southeast and southwest family care practice offices, but a lot of it goes back to care coordination and making sure that that patient rep can have those crucial conversations with with patients that may or may not be in a vulnerable state at that time. So, you know, communication is key in any type of situation, any type of any type of relationship. So that being said, you know, that that portion is definitely crucial um going forward and trying to form a coalition um is probably one of the hardest parts is getting each each entity to work together um because so many entities say well i think i think my side does this extremely well but they may come into it as a negative approach or whatever the whatever scenario may may pan out but um Going forward, I think if we could replicate this across the nation or across the system or wherever we can replicate it, I would say, you know, you have to have that stakeholder buy-in initially. And then the stakeholders, you know, trickle down to their team and say, you know, that team has to have that true team approach and know what each resource does. And they, they may not have to know what each resource does in depth, but they need to know the the basic guidelines of you know your basic free clinics, your QHCs, your um, nonprofits in your area. So I mean those and your local your local United Way should be able to provide the majority of that information, but um, because they are your umbrella nonprofit agency all across the U.S. and even in rural areas, you know your United Ways are pretty crucial in getting a lot of your nonprofit funding. And that sort of thing. So, I would definitely bring all the all the stakeholders in and have a stakeholder meeting, and then you know, kind of implement your top your top priority needs, and then go from there. Now, you talked about the woman who went from you know being a, a quote frequent flyer in the emergency department to finally getting insurance and to now being an advocate. What can people do in their hometowns if they want to improve access to health care? If someone's really concerned about what's going on with their friends, their families, or neighbors, what can they do right at home? You know, you want to educate these folks not to show up to the emergency room unless it's a true emergency. Because like we've said a hundred times, is that's the most expensive care that someone can receive, regardless if they have health insurance or not. And now, you know, with the health insurance crisis that we're all in, even with the Medicaid expansion, um, we're still kind of in a crisis because, you know, you may be insured, but are you underinsured? So what that means is, you know, your deductible may be through the roof, but you're able to pay your monthly premiums, but you're never going to meet that out-of-pocket max for your deductible cost. So therefore, you're still paying an astronomical amount to go to the see your local physician. Um, so, you know, you can always just call in to your local um, family care practice and say, you know, 
like what's going on today with you know my head you know I need to come in and get an appointment um so you know all just stay in contact with your with your providers um and then go to go to local health talks go to local go to local health outreach events and stay up to date on your on your medical um history of your family along with you know being being that advocate for your personal health and making sure you're healthy and setting that good example for your community. Now, if you, Tyler Lee, could wave a magic wand, what would you do to improve health and healthcare in rural America? Oh, me. I think that's a million-dollar question. But, um, you know, a lot of this um, rural settings, you know, and – I think one one amazing thing, and we are not doing this as a system, so I'm not trying to promote this, but I personally think paramedicine is, you know, an innovative approach um, in rural settings. And then, you know, the telemedicine is great, but I, I'm a I'm a touchy-feely type of person, so um, that's one thing I, I guess... Um, think why paramedicine would be great um, to implement in in rural America, but I would also say education is crucial in every scenario that comes into into my office and even into the emergency room and anywhere. So if we can if we can teach basic education of where do you go for care, what do you do when what and you can fill in the blank how do you file taxes what is health insurance and those those four questions right there will will save the day in so many scenarios and not even just talking about rural healthcare that's healthcare in general and life in general so if i could wave a wand i would be able to teach every single person in the world those key components Alrighty then. Tyler promoting patient health education. Love it. All right. Thank you, Tyler. Yeah. No problem. Anytime. So that was Tyler Lee of Curly and Franklin Memorial Hospital discussing how the Health Efficiency Navigation Initiative decreased emergency department visits by 31% and found patients better options for care through community-wide coordination. If you want to join the discussion about increasing community capacity, Tyler will be one of the session leaders at the 2018 Virginia Rural Collaborators Conference. Visit vrha.org and click the Events tab for more information. The Virginia Rural Health Voice is the podcast of the Virginia Rural Health Association. Our mission is to improve the health of rural Virginians through education, advocacy, and fostering cooperative partnerships. The Rural Health Voice is sponsored by the Virginia State Office of Rural Health and underwritten by the Virginia Rural Health Association. 